Abba Yahweh, again, another day. Thank you, Father, for your grace, your mercy, and the opportunity to be about your business and share your truth, knowledge, and wisdom for any that have an ear to hear, Father. Thank you. Abba Yahweh, Amen. Yeshua, so, uh, I'm going to jump into something here in, in uh, one of our <laughs> continuing English lessons that's very pertinent as far as sharing the word of God and the truth and the knowledge that he imparts. We heard some things and we hear things constantly. And in our language, in this country, we speak in English, and there are translators that can change that. You have to be cautious in, in checking in translations also, because sometimes words get lost in translation. I'm going to go back and I'm going to share this. I believe I, I have it one time in Hebrew. It's very important. They're calligraphers that, that do all these notes and they transcribe and they do everything by hand. And it's, um, it's a form of calligraphy. Now, just as a side note and things that, that uh, I do calligraphy and I have done it, so I know that there's certain twists and turns and things that go on about it. But when... Specifically, when the Bible talks about the changing of one jot, one tittle, it's talking about the calligraphic translation in the Bible. And you have calligraphers and you have a uh, stroke of the pen and when it turns in one direction, it's called a jot. And when it turns another direction, it's called a tittle. But here's the important fact. Now, it doesn't sound like much, but it is because what it does, if you insert a jot instead of a tittle, or you insert a tittle instead of a jot in a translation, it changes the entire translation. It changes the whole thing, and it cannot be used. I was watching a very special program regarding this, and the calligrapher was very studiously studying transcription, and he and they do this all by hand. This is not done by a machine. And he had erred. He changed a pen stroke. And destroyed the entire sheet that he had just done. And this thing was probably about four feet long. And, you know, they were going to roll it into a scroll. Well, he destroyed the whole thing. And when asked why he had done that, he said, I'd have to go back and examine every pen stroke that I did on this. And the whole translation is worthless now it's changes everything and it would be much easier for me to just rewrite and that's what they do I mean they're very strict and they're very very specific so when God is explaining this and he puts it in the word And he's talking about rewriting the word or putting this thing out here. He's telling us to be very specific. Now I share, and he has allowed me to do that. He's given me validation for it, is that when you share the word of God, you can be very personal and very specific for it. But when you're taking and going to change the entire script of the Bible, such as the perverts that will get on stage and they talk about things like John 3.16 is not correct because we're not teaching the love of God, we're teaching his uh, 
condemnation and his damnation and that this is that and this is that, but they took it all out of context. They didn't keep it in context. And the context is very clear. God does not condemn you. Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came to save anyone that would choose to go back home. And it's just like Jesus tried to explain to the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees when they came to harangue him and harass him wherever he was. They always sent somebody to come and watch and see what he was doing. And he tried to tell them and explain to them, you have to be very specific in what you say. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't understand it. They were always coming to try to change what Jesus had said. And he's told them a couple of it. He says, that's not what I said. I came to share the truth with you. Just like when he was talking about uh, the truth and the knowledge and coming out and, and changing and uh, casting out of the demons and the spirits. And they tried to say, oh, well, you're of the devil because, and you're casting them out in the name of the devil. Well, Jesus told them and was very specific about it. He says, that's ridiculous. He said, how would I, being of the devil, cast the devil out? I cast you out, demon of Beelzebub, in the name of Beelzebub. <laughs> uh, it can't happen, and it doesn't happen, it won't happen. Jesus has authority from heaven. The devil has no heavenly authority anymore. This is why I share with you, it's very specific, and I think I'm very clear on this. And you have a lot of people that don't agree with this. And that's unfortunate because nowhere, nowhere in the Bible can you find anything. And in any translation, it doesn't matter what Bible you look in. But it talks about that the gifts of the Spirit are no more because the times have changed. And there's no need for them anymore. Oh, I don't know. I've, I haven't studied the word of God for nearly as long as I should have been. But pretty much from the time that I was able to start and be able to read, I was taught Bible verses. And so for nearly 65 years, and I find nowhere in the scripture does it say that God's going to stop sharing the gifts of the Spirit because of the era has changed or the times have changed. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. What it does say is those that walk away and those that turn their back and they turn a deaf ear and they don't use and they don't practice. And we have Paul that writes in the in his letters and he reminds us that we should seek those things. And I've shared that it's very important to learn the heavenly language and to give over our prayers to the Holy Spirit and let him, and this, and the Bible talks about the groanings and the utterings that we will not be able to understand, and that's the Holy Spirit. You're not going to understand it because it's heavenly language. It's not like French and Spanish and all that. And I, I actually had a young acquaintance and I had to share with him that, you know, he was trying, and he was trying really hard. So, and he speaks fluent Spanish, by the way. So he started speaking the Spanish, and he thought that was speaking in tongues. Well, no, because the devil can speak Spanish. The heavenly language is to go straight to the heavenly switchboard and straight into the connection to the Lord and the devil is not able to interpret that. He does not have heavenly attributes anymore. He's, he forsook that. And when he got the boot and got kicked out of heaven and fell as lightning, he can't understand anymore. This is why it's important. When there's certain specific needs and requirements that you give over to the Holy Spirit, you just don't start talking. Because... 
when you do that, it can be intercepted. And now the minions know how they can interfere. They know who to go to. They know where an attack can be made. And I'm telling you truth, brothers and sisters. I'm not just making stuff up. I won't do that. I've already shared that with you. I speak the truth in the word of God, period. I'm not going to make these things up. So... I'm going to share some things here. I'm just telling you about the uh, English translations and English lesson. You have, I'm certain that many of you have all heard of pronouns and you understand what they are or may. And for those of you that may not, you have I, he, she, him, they, they are a descriptive part of the English language so that you can specify a direction and, or who things are. You have also what are called possessive pronouns that you can ascribe ownership of certain things to a specific individual by using a pronoun instead of the whole person's name. And kind of a shortcut sort of thing. But I had one of my mentors was... I had one of his lessons out, and this is very important and specific, and I've shared this with you before. This is why I my name is gone off of this podcast that is offered, that has been condoned and allowed by my Abba, and he has told me that it's a good thing that I can reach many people by being able to do this. And he condones that and he validates it. It's his truth, his knowledge, his wisdom. So I took my name off of it. I had my name on it before. And that was denoting something that didn't belong to me. I had taken ownership of something that wasn't mine. And I'll be more specific because I've shared this before and some of you may not May have skipped that episode, but I'm going to share it quickly anyway. So when I first started doing this, I was looking how to do it because I was told that I should do this. And um, of course, I think there was a... Never mind, I'm not going to go there because the enemy wants me to do that. And I'm not going to do it. I rebuke that. And that, in Jesus' name, to be gone. But... I had my name on here, but when I first started this and doing the research to find uh, podcasting, it was going to be very expensive, and I had to do this and that and the other thing. I had to get a publisher, I had to get an editor, and I had to get sound equipment and so forth and so on, and it was a very difficult thing, and I, and I prayed about it, and I said, God, if this is something that you condone and you think that I would be able to share your word with more people by doing this, you will find a way and you will make it happen. I boldly presented my case to God. I didn't do it in arrogance. I boldly stood up and said, you make this happen and letting him know that I was letting go of this. I wasn't going to hold on to it and try to figure it out and pray about it and then continue trying to figure it out on my own. This is what many of us do. We pray to God for something and then we hold on to what we're praying about and we still try to figure it out. And I've <clears throat> recently have been caught up in doing that when I was getting kicked out of a resident that I had been residence that I had been living in for four years. I became very disturbed and the enemy wanted me to be disturbed. And at my age and things that are going on, how is I going to do that? And the, the new ownership was very specific about the timeline which wasn't very fair, but anyway. God made that happen, and I had to let go of it. I was praying about it, but I kept holding on to it. I was trying to figure this out, figure it out, figure it out. Finally, I said, God, you've got to do this because I don't know what to do. And the very within just a very short time, I was talking to 
my landlord, who is still in ownership, hadn't sold the place yet, and he said, I have someplace else, and he, oh my goodness gracious, far better. Oh my gosh, just letting go of things is important to do. So what we get caught up in is we pray, but we hold on to things. And we still try to figure it out in our finite minds. Back to point. Satan loves to do that. And <clears throat> speaking about the possessive pronouns and how important these are, uh, in specific with the scripture, and when you have and find, and my mentor was sharing this, is that you have to be very careful in things that are, are said and done and be guarded against certain claims And we need to be aware of this and listen to how people speak. When you have a hireling shepherd, which are exactly what pastors of churches are, they are hirelings. They are not the shepherd. They have been called the angels of the church um, in the book of Revelation when John is speaking about the uh, seven churches and the letters that he's sending to them. Um, the angel of the church and so-and-so, so-and-so, they're specifically talking about the pastor, the leader of the church. And when they're talking about that, so... Pardon me, I'm sipping my coffee between. When you have a pastor of a church that is laying claim to things that are not his, which is why I took my name off of this because this is not mine. This is a haven of truth because that's what I share is God's truth, his knowledge and his wisdom and his word with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's very specific and it is not mine. But when you have a pastor talking about my church, my congregation, and he's putting that possessive pronoun on there and specifically claiming something that he does not have authority to claim. And when you go back and Jesus talks about, I will build a church, my sheep, that's because he has that authority and they are his, and it is his. And when we talk about the body of the church, we are talking about the members of the body of the church that belong to Jesus. And the Bible is very specific about ownership. We do not have, we have certain authority that is given to us. And we have been given permission to use Jesus' name in claiming that authority over the serpents and the scorpions and even the enemy himself. We can face down the enemy in the name of Jesus. We can't do it on our own and we cannot lay claim. And this is why Jesus rebuked the disciples when they came back, right? In Luke, we see the example when the 70 came back he had sent them out and they came back and they were all excited oh we did this and if you go through and listening to what they were talking about and Jesus was trying to keep them from being confused and having a problem with ownership And when they came back, oh, we did this, we did that, and we used your name, but we were doing this, we did this, and we did that. And he was concerned and that they were putting the specifics in the wrong place. It was done in his name with the authority that is given to us by him, which shortly thereafter, he was saying that you should rejoice in the fact that you are in the book of life in heaven for what you have done and what you are doing and not rejoice in that in and of itself, which we are also told and explained that we don't do that 
by Paul, and this is also talking about salvation. We are not responsible for, uh, personally responsible for anyone's salvation. No one is saved by words that they hear from me or you or from a pastor. Might be a very powerful man of God. Yay. But the validation and the salvation does not come from that person. It comes from the grace and mercy of God. And that person was an intercessory prayer for that person that became saved or uh, on their behalf was speaking to God. And the Holy Spirit went and visited that person and maybe praying with that pastor or that elder and through the prayer. And then they they made the decision and asked that Jesus come in and change their lives and have faith in God and that change was made, but it wasn't the pastor that did it. It wasn't the elder that did it. It wasn't whoever from the church did anything except pray with them, which is what we're told to do anyway. But you have to be cautious when you have people on this plane of existence that are claiming things that do not righteously belong to them. You remember when Jesus, after he was crucified and uh, he had been walking with the disciples and he used certain phrases that, and then they recognized him. And there was another instance when Jesus met the disciples on the beach and he was cooking for them. He was preparing to serve them. And the conversation that he had with Peter and the specific responses that Jesus had to Peter. And he told Peter, To feed his sheep, feed my sheep. Very specific in ownership. He didn't say, feed the sheep, feed your sheep. He said, feed my sheep. And he spoke also to my church. You see, the authority that Jesus has, had then and still has, because he is the only begotten Son of God. He is one with the Father in heaven, and he is with us always, as is the promise and his word, that we are his. And it talks about guiding the sheep and being on the sheep. Very specific. That authority that Jesus has, he shares, and he tells us that we have that in his name. But it is not by anything that we do on our own. It is not something that I can claim. I can't claim to have saved anyone. And I rejoice in the fact that if somebody got saved because they heard what I am saying, they listened to the truth and the knowledge and the wisdom as it comes from the word of God and it comes from God. And he allows me to be a conduit for that word. That's awesome. I've actually had a couple messages that came back specific from a location that I will not share because it is a dangerous place to be a Christian. But they made a decision and I thank the Lord for his grace and mercy and that the Holy Spirit worked on their heart and drew them in so that they made a choice and a decision. Living in a very dangerous place and they made that decision anyway through God's grace and his mercy. And we're told too that our salvation is through his grace and mercy and it's not by anything that we do. And Paul talks about that. Paul warns us 
not to brag about anything that we've done because it's not by anything that we do, but by the authority that is given to us and by the grace and mercy of God through the leading of the Holy Spirit, we are very specifically told that. It's not by our works, lest we should boast. And yes, there are individuals that brag about, oh yeah, I brought so many to the church, or I brought so many over here, over there, and I was talking over here, and I had a dozen people come, and blah, 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 blah. Well, if you listen to the course of the conversation, it's very much about what they have done and not by the power and the grace and the mercy of the Lord God. And those people were drawn by the conviction of the Holy Spirit in their heart anyway. It wasn't from anything that that person did. Now, granted, there are some very powerful and very charismatic individuals, and I have some mentors that I look that way. I don't consider myself, you know, I, I'm not so eloquent in speech, and you all have all taken note of that as, you know, I tend to be kind of <laughs> a dust and dirt kind of guy. I mean, that's the way I was brought up, but that's the way I speak, and God doesn't mind it. God still gives me validation because there are people in this world that are not on that higher plane. I've shared with you that, you know, I had a professorial uh, acquaintance of mine was a very nice gentleman, very kind gentleman. I had no idea that this guy was a, an astrophysicist and that he uh, was a professor until later on in our acquaintance. And so his very judgmental associates were put in their place by him. You know, I wasn't speaking as eloquently as they like to put themselves. And you will find that some individuals that get that way once they obtain a, a degree, they put themselves up on this higher level and they were rather belittling and besmirching and kind of ignoring the conversations I was trying to share. And he just put them in their place and he said, hey, he knows far more than you think and far more than you might understand. So then he had started ignoring them and we were talking with each other and they were sitting and listening and they then realized by them. And I think he did that to show them that I had that capability. He did it as a demonstration. He wasn't trying to be mean or nasty to them. He was trying to share with them. And you have to be guarded in what you do. We can't be judgmental. And for those individuals that get that way within the body, we pray for them. They are still, they're trying hard and they don't always know. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit is what the draw is. And when I say that word conviction, and you see this is where we have to, it's not convicting like when you go to court and you get convicted uh, of a crime and then you're going to go to prison. Um, conviction just means uh, an altering spirit in your heart or a changing of the mind and that you are doing certain things and certain activities and the Holy Spirit comes and takes hold of your heart and gives you a little squeeze and says, hey, we love you. I want you to know that I'm here to help guide you and remind you of that. So you know you don't want to go that way. You want to go this way. And comes back again when you don't do and reminds you, hey, you're still going the wrong way. Come on, we want to go this way. And then you're like, oh, sorry, Lord. Sorry, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding. And then away you go. Remember, I do, I will, let's go. I do believe that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. I will have faith in you, Father. And Holy Spirit, guide me. Let's go. So just be cautious. Listen and hear. And remember what we are told later in the gospel, in the New Testament. I don't... Here's a personal preference for myself, and it's just my observation. I don't like to use the term 
gospel when we talk about the New Testament. And I'm not going to do that. I'm going to call it the Old and New Testament because you have testaments and testimony of the prophets and from the Ruth and Esther, Moses and Job, Joshua, Daniel. You have those individuals who are inspired by the Holy Spirit and they penned those books, authored by God, but penned those books. And then you have the New Testament. And the reason I go that direction is because the word gospel, and you have those theologians that will use the term to separate the Bible. The word gospel is actually a combination word. Part of it comes from Greek and part of it comes from Latin. But the word was used by Romans, and the word gospel simply means good news. You go to a literal translation, the word gospel means good news. So let me ask a question. Is the first part of the Bible not good news? It doesn't specifically, well, let me be guarded in what I say because there are actually almost a thousand ways that Jesus is talked about in the Old Testament, the first part of the gospel, in the words of the prophets, and there are some very specific times when Jesus is actually manifest physically and seen. I've shared when Joshua is going down to the Valley of Jericho, and I'm also shared with uh, about Nebuchadnezzar at the furnace. Now, that is very specific and very important to understand and know because Daniel was a prophet of God and he was given the ability to interpret dreams, which gave him a very vaunted position in Babylon and spared the life of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, as well as Daniel. And there is testimony of prophecy by Daniel about Jesus. But Jesus was not known at that time other than through the visions and the prophecies that were given to Daniel. And fairly certain, although I wasn't there and the scriptures are not specific because that is not necessarily a known thing, but the interpolation that the Spirit has given to me to see between and guides my speech. So I ask, and I bring that up because I ask this. When Nebuchadnezzar was sitting on the edge of his throne waiting for the excitement to see Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah consumed by the flame and their clothes caught up in the flame and the bursts up and flares up. But it didn't happen. Instead, he sees a fourth. Now, he had his guards that were consumed by the heat and the fire at the furnace. They were consumed. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were not. Now, he knows that there were three put in there. And I've shared this before, the rhetorical question that he comes back to his counselors with, because he already knew the answer, so he wasn't looking for an answer from them. So he posed the question to get them to pay attention. He saw a fourth walking in the furnace, and he the rhetorical question came out. Did we not put three men in the furnace? Then why is there a fourth? And they're walking around with no bonds, no ties, their clothes are not consumed, and he is like unto the Son of God. That's very specific and very important. And I share that because that authority that precedes Jesus wherever he goes. And that is where Jesus shares these things too and what he was sharing with Peter on the beach. Feed my sheep. 
Build my church. Feed my flock. Possessive pronouns are very specific, and Jesus speaks very specifically. It is his church. We are his sheep. We are not the flock belonging to some hireling. And Jesus is also very specific about the hirelings, that there are some good and some bad, that there are some that are really good. And I like to share my mentors because they are, I believe, in the Holy Spirit because I've tried their spirit. And the Holy Spirit shares that they are good, godly men and that they speak truth. And until the Holy Spirit tells me otherwise, I listen to them and I share things that they share. That there are some hirelings that are not very good, like that pervert that gets on the stage and wants to claim about the word of God needs to be rewritten and he's going to take it upon himself to do so. This is the jot and tittle issue that I'm talking about. You can be very possessive about the word of God and God does not mind me sharing the way that I do because I'm not looking to rewrite the Bible, but I'm making the word of God a personal thing. And we are told that we can do that, that we should do that. God wants a personal relationship with us. He desires that. We are his children. He wants us to be personal with him. He wants us to come and pray and share with him in things that we do. And when we do things that are in error, that we need to have the confidence to come and say, Abba Yahweh, forgive me. And he will always, but you see, the white noise interference of Satan and his minions are that God's not gonna listen. Oh, you did it now. And remember, I've shared that song, um, what's her name, Tasha Layton? The lies. Look what you've done. You spoke those lies into me and what did I do? I believe those lies. And then they, how deep the roots grow. And then she sings praise to the Lord. Look what you've done to me. You've dug those deep so root and you pulled those out. And in our walk, we need to be very cautious because the enemy and his minions, they will come and they will sow the seeds of weeds that they want to grow up in our garden. And the garden that God plants with his fruits and his beautiful flowers and these things that we, that he wants to bestow on us in the form of blessings that come from him. That's what God desires for us. And it's beautiful. We can accept that and let that happen. But we also need to be cautious because the minions will come and sow fast-growing seeds of weeds. And those weeds grow quickly and they can put down roots very deeply. So you have to be cautious. You have to dig those roots up. You have to whack those weeds down so that you continually look out and you can have that perspective and be able to see what's out there that the Holy Spirit wants to guide us to. But if you allow those uh, seeds to take root and to grow, your vision and your perception becomes dulled and overgrown and you can't see. That's a very personal aspect that's going on and I've shared this with you, That, but I don't give up. I continue pray and I will not give up. We're talking about my son. You're talking about my earthly son. I love him. I don't particularly like what's going on and that, that bondage that he's in because of the enemy. And the enemy knows this and I speak openly about it because Satan already knows about it. So I have no issue with that. His attacks are relentless and I have no issue with that. And God already knows that I put it to him and that's where the faith is. And I'm not going to be angry at my child. He is confused about some things and some things that he didn't know about. And that's okay. I love him. That's my earthly son. I will continue to pray for him and the family, my grandchildren, and I will pray that the Holy Spirit will convict him and keep tugging in his heart. And that may not happen as long as I'm alive. But here's the important thing. 
it doesn't matter because his soul and his heart isn't mine. I've given him over to the Lord. The Lord has said that he will heal and promises things. I may pass from this plane of existence and then he decides to confess what he's done and, and pray for forgiveness. And that's okay because it doesn't matter. It's not in my timeline anyway. Nothing in our life is without God. Nothing can be done without him. Although you have these self-help gurus and all these guys and men and women that claim that if you listen to what they say, it'll be okay because they'll make you self-sufficient. Well, look in the Bible and see what helped happen to those individuals that thought that they were. They came back and said, oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, my God, Hashim, Adonai, Rafa, heal me. Because they thought that they could do it on their own. Eh, they found out different. It's through his leading, his guidance, not your own and not, what is talked about in the Bible all the time, our finite minds and our finite line of thinking because it is so limited and we tend to mess things up a lot because of our limits. And the Bible is also very specific. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. And his love is so deep. We can't even imagine. The only thing that you can imagine is that his love for us is so great and Jesus came and sacrificed himself to die on the cross for our sakes because of what? Not anything that we did, not anything that we can pay for, not anything that we've done, not any works. And the Bible is also very specific for that. It's not about our works lest we should boast and say, oh, look what I did. I got me saved. No, you didn't. You were doing nice things, but the grace of God saved you. His name, Eshua, does not mean Joshua. There are translators that say that, and they say because it sounds the same, so they said they made the decision with their finite thinking is that, oh, it means Joshua. Well, no. Yeshua specifically means Savior. The name Jesus means Savior. Emmanuel means God in us, God with us. Christ means anointed of God. Jesus, Savior. So, his name, Savior, God with us, anointed of God. That's pretty powerful. That's a name above all names, which it is also told in the word of God that he is that thing. His name above all names. He is counselor, prince of peace, great physician, Savior, Redeemer, infinitely. It can go on and you can even make up words that apply that fit and can only go to him. So nothing that you have ever done has got you saved except the act that you took upon yourself to say, I want to believe that Jesus Christ is your only begotten son and I want my life to change. That's the only action that you can do that can possibly do that. Nothing you can do, all the goody two-shoe stuff that you go around claiming, none of that matters. It really doesn't. Because you remember what Jesus tells those foolish, arrogant individuals. There will be many that come that claim to be in his name Oh, look what we did. 
And we use your name. Look what we did. And we use your name. And even those disciples that came back, the 70, he tried to protect them and tried to guide them. Now, I would imagine that in their revelry when they came back and he he admonished them, they might have felt a little disappointment instead of him jumping up and down and rejoicing with them. He said, hey, don't do that. Do it this way. He was teaching, sharing, and showing. He didn't want them to get confused and so that they began to brag about what they had done. Instead, be joyful that their name is written in the book of life and in heaven. That's the important thing, not what they did. And it has to be that way. And Jesus was very specific when he told them. He said, hey, there's nothing you can do that got you saved. It's by the grace of God. And all these Locals were bragging about all the things that they had done. So in his admonishment to the disciples, he's trying to show us. And then later on when he's rebuking those individuals, he said, hey, it's not about your works. You boast about everything that you've done and and (laughs) told specifically, hey, look what we did. Look what we did. Why can't we come in? And then Jesus just looks over his shoulder as he's walking away from them. I never knew you. The one and only fear, do not fear the shadow of death. The one and only fear that I might say, and I'm not even going to, remember what I share with you too. Don't be fearful. We can have fear. God tells us it's okay to be afraid and he knows that we are. But don't be fearful. Don't let that be your driving force. You can be afraid, but with the Holy Spirit and walking in the Spirit and loving God and having his guidance, we don't have to be fearful. Do not be fearfully driven. Can be afraid, but with his love and his strength and his guidance. And with his grace, mercy, and power, very powerful. But the one fear is to have Jesus rebuke you at the gate and tell you, I never knew you. So are you claiming all these things that you do and using his name for your glorification? Or are you doing it for him? See, there's a difference. And Jesus, I believe, and this is an interpolation, reading between the lines because the scripture is not very specific, but because I understand and the Holy Spirit guides me through his uh, parabolic speech, which he learned from his father. But because I can interpolate and I understand what Jesus is talking about. And he speaks that because these individuals are coming to the gates of heaven. <laughs> To the, to, the, to the port of entry, to home. And they're trying to get in because they're just saying that, hey, look what we did. We did it in your name. No, you were doing it and using his name so that you could be somebody. You were, name, you were uh, what do they call Oh, name dropping. It's like when you try to get into a very exclusive club and you try to drop somebody's name so you can gain entry, but you don't have the actual pass to get you in. I've actually experienced that in in a past life that I had. I used to have to rebuke people, (laughs) refuse some entry because rules are rules, very specific. Entry into heaven is very specific, except that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. Have faith in God and let the Holy Spirit guide your steps. Not get to the gate, and do all this foolish living, frivolous living, and uh, uh, prodigal living. And then you get there and say, hey, but I did this in your name, and I offered this in your name, and then have Jesus just walk away from you and say, I never knew you. Man, how powerful. And incidentally, the word prodigal son and prodigal living, it means just 
basically doing whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want, and it doesn't matter as long as you're not, and and even at times physically hurting someone, <laughs> pretty much just doing whatever you want. And that's what Satan tries to get you to believe is that it's okay, as long as you don't hurt somebody. But you may be emotionally hurting them greatly. In David's poem, in Psalm 8, in verse 3, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and has crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Wow. I'm going to finish reading that up. I'm going to go to the end of the chapter because it's, it's beautiful. And it's talking about Jesus and that he came in humble walking. And this is a prophetic word from David. And it's about Jesus coming humbly, born in a stable, laying in a manger and lived as a man. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. This is the authority that Jesus, my Jesus, my Lord, my Christ has all things, all things, and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, and that all are under his authority and everything is his. So those individuals that lie to, like to lay claim to things that they don't have authority to do, be cautious, be guarded, and try the Spirit because the Holy Spirit will guide. 